1: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. One of the most closely watched decisions in all of BC turned into no decision at all. And the future of Surrey policing is still up in the air.
2: The public safety minister says the government still needs more information even as Surrey taxpayers are now on the hook for two police forces. For the very latest, let's bring in our Madagahi live in Surrey tonight. Uh, Imad, what exactly happened today and what's been the reaction so far?
3: Well, hours ago, Surrey's Mayor Brenda Locke stepped up to the podium here at City Surrey Hall. uh, Surrey City Hall, rather. She had some scathing remarks towards the province's non-decision so far on this Surrey policing file. It seems like everyone involved here wants to see this move forward so a news of a further delay was not what they wanted to hear
4: this is the largest rcmp detachment in the country and is certainly the most complex and largest transition i would suggest in the history of the province
3: just when you thought surrey's policing back and forth could not get any more complicated the controversy has produced a new chapter now pitting the city against the province.
5: There's a delta between the people that work in Victoria in uh, across the other side of the pond and the people that are have their feet on the ground.
3: The province needs to decide if Surrey's plan to keep the RCMP as police of jurisdiction is to go ahead. But Thursday, the minister in charge said he will need more time and information.
4: Going back is, 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 is as I said, it's not like Swiss putting on a switch, uh, you know, off and on, Uh, it's very complex uh, because you've got the work that's been done to date, uh, you've got all the human resource issues.
3: A decision Surrey's mayor calls unacceptable given the urgency of the situation ahead of its budgeting process for the upcoming year.
5: The city has made a decision. That decision was made to maintain the RCMP as a police of jurisdiction moving forward. We will do that.
0: The number one issue right now for me is for the men and women that are serving our community and providing public safety for us. The degree of uncertainty is horrible.
3: The officer in command of the RCMP tells Global News that dozens of SBS officers have confidentially approached the RCMP indicating their desire to come over if the RCMP remains in Surrey. Meanwhile, the SPS says it currently has 333 police officers, 61 civilian staff. And since 2021, only seven officers have left the force, of which none were due to possible disbandment.
4: It becomes very, very difficult to stop the process um, at, at this stage. It's gone far too, in my opinion, certainly it's gone too far.
3: So the former mayor said that when he left office, there were projections that by early as May, the number of SBS officers on the street in Surrey would surpass a Surrey RCMP. But the SBS says it has put recruitment and hiring on hold at the moment, At the moment, even though there are still applications coming in every single day.
2: All right, thanks for that. Amad reporting in Surrey tonight. Now for more, let's bring in Keith Baldry in Victoria. Keith, why is this such a tough decision for the provincial governments?
5: Yeah, what a doozy. I've never seen a situation like this facing a provincial government before, Sophia. A number of layers of complication here. You can't separate provincial politics from this at all. I'll get to that in a moment. There's also the issue of municipal autonomy. Does the municipality have the right to determine who is going to be the police force within their municipal boundaries versus ministerial responsibility? Mike Farnworth has a statutory responsibility to ensure there is proper and high levels of policing to ensure the safety of residents of Surrey. And right now, they don't like what they're they see from Brenda Locke or any of the parties right now, which is why he's asked his staff to take a detailed look at really the contradictory uh, numbers in many instances between the two arguments here. And that's going to unfold over the next few weeks.
4: The work uh, being done in my ministry is doing just that, to look at what is accurate, what is the, where are the gaps in Surrey's plan, where are the gaps in the RCMP plan, uh, and get to the actual uh, uh, realistic um, um, issues that have been identified that uh, need further information.
5: So the provincial political angle, Surrey is the, probably the number one political battleground in all of B.C. There are nine ridings right there, there right now. Uh, one more will be added for the next provincial election. So the election could very well be decided in Surrey alone. That's how close it can be. Uh, so Mike Farnworth and NDP have to get this right. On the other side is the question of how much interest there actually is in Surrey on this issue. There was a very low voter turnout in the last municipal election, when this issue seemed to be front and center in the campaign. And voters at that point seemed to be not really care one way or another how this was go perhaps that'll change in the months ahead
2: I'm sure members of the surrey rcmp and the sps <laughs> care about this issue quite a bit all right thanks for yeah. that keith baldry in uh, victoria for us
1: day four now of the testimony into the death of vancouver police constable nicole chan and it focused on the tragic chain of events that occurred the evening before she died by suicide ramina Dea reports and a warning first that some of the details again in this story are disturbing
6: The jury hearing evidence that roughly one to two hours after VPD Constable Nicole Chan arrived at VGH for a potential suicide, doctors released her. Chan returned home. The next morning, she took her life. Chan was 30 years old.
7: There's no way she should have been released from the hospital.
6: Witness Brandon Gray holding back tears. He was with his best friend, Jamie Gifford, Chan's boyfriend, when he found Chan hanging from the door inside their apartment, January 27th, 2019. Gray said they called 911 again after Chan was released from hospital.
7: We were shocked. Why is she back at her house? On the other line, it's just said, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do, and there's nothing we
0: can do.
6: On Thursday, Chan's boyfriend testified she was threatening to hang herself with a dog leash. Later, he said she found her hiding a large kitchen knife in the bathtub and scissors in the bed. Concerned for Chan's safety, two VPD officers apprehended her under the Mental Health Act and escorted her to Vancouver General Hospital. Constable Warren Head testifying he was surprised the doctor wasn't going to admit her. He said he told them Chan knows what to say to get released. I remember advocating, saying, I believe this is a mistake. I believed personally that she was a threat to harm herself, said Constable Head. I felt like if she was to go back home and be alone, that she might, in fact, follow through. It seems like everybody was shocked uh, that she was allowed to go home. Uh, And that is the part that I think uh, is really the most heartbreaking for Nicole's family. Ultimately, a doctor decided Chan was not a threat to herself. Her ongoing treatment plan was sufficient, testified Constable Head. Chan's family and friends now hoping something good comes out of this inquest.
7: There are holes in the healthcare system. Maybe we can better assess patients down the road who are having the worst night of their life and need help.
2: Romina Dea, Global News. A new report from Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation confirms what many Vancouver renters already know. They are paying the highest in the country. With high demand and limited supply, renting just keeps getting more expensive. Richard Zisman reports.
8: A problem that keeps
4: growing. We have the situation where rental demand has uh, exceeded
8: the uh, increase in rental supply. The Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation releasing its annual renter's report Thursday. The average price for a two-bedroom in Vancouver now $2,002 a month. Toronto second at $1,770. Victoria at $1,699. Kelowna at $1,690 per month, rounding out Canada's top four. The vacancy rate also dropping in Canada. It's 1.9%. And in Vancouver, just 0.9% of properties are available to rent.
9: What it means is the destruction of family units, the breakdown of relationships, the collapse of businesses, and the inability of multiple generations of Canadians to build a prosperous life and future in this country. We absolutely do not have what we need, which is the basic and most fundamental unit of housing.
8: A growing population, a lack of units, low vacancy, high costs, all creating an impossible solution for those entering the rental market. Renters in Vancouver paying on average a little more than 2000 a month for that two-bedroom factor in the place is actually available and the cost booms to 2850 per month 43% higher
4: It's a strong disincentive to moving, uh, since if you were looking for an identical unit across the hall or even down the street, you would be facing a significant uh, rent increase.
10: The urgency that comes with uh, these types of numbers uh, is something I've been feeling since I was called uh, to be asked to to be the Minister of Housing. Uh, We know uh, beyond these numbers that the issues are real. Uh, We've been hearing it from people in our communities. All of this combined is creating the worst conditions
8: for renters in more than 20 years. And for those 20% that make the least, it's even worse, with only 1% of properties affordable in both Vancouver and here in Victoria.
5: We've understood for
3: for years that rental is a challenge in British Columbia, in every community, whether it's Surrey, Victoria, or Vancouver, Prince George. But at the end of the day, this is a government, this is a premier that has campaigned twice on a renter's rebate and failed to deliver it.
8: The province still working on that promise, with the $400 commitment looking smaller by the year. If someone can even find a place to rent. Richard's Ossman Global News, Victoria.
1: A young girl from North Vancouver has gone from hero to homeless in yet another example of how tight the housing market is. She and her family were forced out of their homes by fire and now can't find another place to live. You might remember back in December when 12-year-old Pariaz Razia was awarded for her quick thinking in alerting her family and neighbors of a fire that broke out in their apartment building. Well, a month later, the building still sits behind blue fencing. Rezaí's family is living out of a motel, but that only lasts until February 1st.
9: It's pretty difficult because we're looking for a house near our school, and the price rangings are, like, very different. If we can't find something we're looking for, like, we have to go to a smaller place or maybe have to change schools. And like pay way more money.
1: The family has been receiving a helping hand through a GoFundMe. So far, more than $9,000 has been raised for them.
2: A Cranbrook woman is recovering after a painful fall earlier this month and a long wait for an ambulance.
1: In fact, as Jennifer Palma shows us, the ambulance never came. She had to find her own way to the hospital and a warning some of the video might be disturbing.
2: They
11: put in plates and screws through here three to put it all together. It wasn't how Tanya Abbey had anticipated ending 2022. On New Year's Eve around eight o'clock at night she slipped and fell in her Cranbrook home as loved ones gathered to ring in 2023.
0: I hurt several parts of my body um, my foot and My arm and my head were the worst things.
11: She ended up having a concussion, breaking her arm in several places, needing surgery and chipping her ankle. Her friends and family called 911 for help. Tanya says they waited for an hour for an ambulance. None came, but the dispatcher had this advice.
0: The ambulance phoned back about an hour later and asked if I was still doing okay and said that basically if they could get me up that they should take me to the hospital themselves. We had to get her up and get her out to the car, and yeah,
1: it was, it was tough. She was in so much pain.
11: VC Emergency Health Services confirms the call, adding the call was coded as yellow, which is a low-acuity call. We do know that at the time, many of our paramedics were responding to other very urgent medical emergencies in the area. We know it's stressful when someone who needs an ambulance is waiting for one, and we apologize to the patient and their family for the delay. Health officials say New Year's Eve is a busy night, and getting an ambulance, especially in some parts of BC, can also be more difficult.
7: In Cranbrook, we're very short of ambulance. We need additional resources in Cranbrook. We need to staff the ones we do, so that's a recruitment and retention. We've just signed uh, an
4: agreement uh, uh, with uh, CUPE Local 873 that continues our joint effort to recruit more ambulance paramedics and provide more service, and that's just uh, any concern such as this. Um, Inspires us to continue to do more.
11: Minister Dick says they will continue to triage calls. As for Tanya, she wants solutions.
0: Put the money back into the health care and not into pockets of the government.
11: Jennifer Palma, Global News.
1: The union representing B.C.'s ambulance paramedics says recruitment is a key issue for its members and the province, especially in rural areas like Cranbrook. But there is hope the new tentative agreement will help with that. It goes to members for ratification next month.
2: A bridge backup exposes the very worst of human behavior. It was a person in crisis threatening to jump and how some drivers responded has mental health experts and a lot of other people astonished by the lack of compassion. That's next on the news hour.
1: Feeding the soul, a local food truck serving up a second chance for people who've had to flee their homeland. That's later.
2: And a BC distillery tastes success on the world stage, the honor it just received coming up. Right now though, a recent
1: closure of the Alex Fraser Bridge to help a person in crisis somehow inspired abhorrent behavior by some drivers and onlookers.
2: Disturbingly, the life-saving response from police was made much more difficult by people honking at, filming, and even heckling the person in crisis. As Julie Nolan reports, those on the front lines are appealing for compassion.
12: A person in distress during Monday's afternoon commute on the Alex Fraser Bridge. As Delta police tried to de-escalate a precarious situation, some commuters were simply unwilling to pack their patients.
7: People yelling at the uh, the subject that we're there for, uh, with cars going by, cars honk.
12: As police say, they were dealing with various distractions over several hours. The decision was made to close the southbound lanes.
7: We inconvenienced. A LOT OF PEOPLE AND WE'RE AWARE OF THAT, BUT OUR INTENTION IS TO SAVE THAT LIFE.
12: MENTAL HEALTH ADVOCATES SAY THE MAJORITY OF commuters KEPT THEIR COOL, BUT MONDAY'S INCIDENT ALSO SHOWED A LACK OF COMPASSION ON SOCIAL MEDIA. IT IS ALSO REALLY IMPORTANT TO KNOW THAT FOR FOLKS WHO ARE letting their frustrations take over, that can be really hard for the police who are doing the negotiating. When there's yelling or counter messages to that, that's supporting the part of the person who wants to give up, and we don't want to do that. And the situation resolves faster if everyone is pulling for that person to be safe. The province commends the officers who risked their own lives and remind people to have more empathy for all involved. I think what we would all want is if we had a loved one in that situation, would be for the surrounding community to treat that person with dignity. The Alex Fraser does not have a barrier, but there is a crisis phone on the span. When asked why a barrier isn't there to save lives, the Minister of Transportation says certain bridges cannot accommodate the additional wind load of safety fencing. It's my understanding that the the crisis phones were the uh, the option that were identified as appropriate for, for that infrastructure, for that particular bridge commuters also have options for keeping their anxieties in check if you are super frustrated in a traffic jam and you've got a cell phone you can call the crisis line and we can help you deal with those emotions julie nolan global news
1: the translink mayor's council met for the first time this year the goal is to put into action the 10-year plan on the future of public transportation Today's meeting establishes the organization's priorities. It's a long wish list with more buses right at the top. It all comes with a heavy price tag, too. $20 billion over the next decade. Positive
13: news is the federal government is committed to a permanent transit fund. Now, that isn't kicking in until a couple years from now. I would love to see that move forward so we could start that sooner than later, and that will help WITH SOME OF THE CAPITAL
1: FUNDING, WHICH IS USED TO BUILD THE BIG PROJECTS. POST-PANDEMIC, RIDERSHIP IS ON THE RISE, BUT TRANSLINK SAYS IT'S STILL FACING FINANCIAL PRESSURE. THE MAYOR'S COUNCIL IS PUTTING TOGETHER A LONG-TERM INVESTMENT PLAN.
2: UP AHEAD, A MAJOR BLOW TO INTERIOR COMMUNITIES WITH THE CLOSING OF CANFOR MILLS IN Chetwynd AND HOUSTON. HOW THE COMPANY DEFENDS ITS DECISION AND WHAT'S NEXT FOR THOSE WHO LOST THEIR JOBS.
1: And the winter wallop hitting Toronto and parts east much later than normal.
11: Still well, a slow crawl for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 through Burnaby, with lots of congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support B.C. Children's Hospital. Kermat Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre.
2: Canfor is closing two more mills in northern B.C., a move putting hundreds of people out of work.
1: The company says it's unavoidable, blaming a number of factors, and it isn't inspiring
10: much confidence in the future of the forestry sector. Aaron MacArthur reports. Almost 500 people across two communities are losing their jobs. Canfor announcing a temporary closure at the mill in Houston and a permanent shutdown at the facility in Chetwynd.
2: It's a really tough decision to make a decision to close a facility. Unfortunately, this is something that we have known is coming for quite some time.
10: The news comes just weeks after the company announced the closure of one of the Prince George pulp mill lines, affecting 300 workers in that community, according to Canfor, which saw its share price rise by almost 9% Thursday. The issue is access to raw material. The restructuring designed to match mill capacity to available resources. The fibre used at Chetwind will be redistributed to other mills to keep them economically viable.
2: The annual allowable cut has come down. In the interior, it has dropped from 70 million cubic metres annually to about 50 and it's going just under 40. That's a 30 million cubic metre drop.
10: In Houston, the new manufacturing plant will be a significant investment but will operate with fewer employees. While CANFOR has promised preferential hiring at other facilities, communities are left reeling by the loss of so many jobs.
7: You know, this is a struggle that, you know, I think in some ways could have been avoided if government had put a little bit more attention into an important sector like uh, forestry is in our province.
10: The entire forestry sector is facing challenges. Other companies, including Tolco and Sinclair, have extended temporary layoffs into February. The B.C. government has announced a $50 million fund to enhance value-added forest products and is promising support in the affected communities.
4: There is a full team from the Ministry of Forests that will be on the ground assisting uh, workers uh, and their families in making the very difficult transition that's just been announced.
10: The mills, expected to wind down in the spring, it could take two years for the mill in Houston to reopen. Aaron McCarthy, Global News.
2: Technical Safety BC has released several safety recommendations after a fatal ammonia accident at a Kamloops ice-making facility last year. The organization says it's key for those working with ammonia refrigeration to hire a contractor to validate that ammonia and oil have been removed. The report follows an investigation into the ammonia leak at an ice-making facility in the Mount Paul Industrial Park last year that left one person dead and several other people exposed. The investigation found the main cause of that incident was a failure to remove ammonia from the refrigeration, refrigeration system before it was taken apart.
1: Canada's Privacy Commissioner has confirmed the Home Depot shared customer information with Facebook parent company Meta Without customers' consent.
2: The big box hardware store spent about four years sharing email addresses that were collected through e-receipts. And customers had no idea it was happening. Kyle Benning has more.
9: Whether you were looking to use your green thumb or start on some home renovations, digitally savvy Home Depot patrons had their personal information shared. That revelation comes from an investigation by Canada's privacy commissioner after a complaint about the big box hardware store. Philip Dufresne says people who opted for an e-receipt at Home Depot between 2018 and October 2022 had their personal email account recorded and shared with Meta along with the items they bought. When they were buying at the counter, uh, they had no reason to suspect that this information would be shared. Home Depot was using a meta-business tool called Offline Conversations, which gives businesses a chance to measure the success of their social media ads. While the email addresses weren't visible by any meta-employee, it gave the social media platform a chance to offer targeted advertising to a Facebook account linked to that email address. The privacy commissioner says he believes these tools are widely used by businesses. He noted public and private sector privacy legislation are decades old. That needs to be modernized to recognize and adapt to the new reality and the fast-paced digital uh, changes. The call for punishment for privacy breaches is one that is not new, with experts saying disincentives are needed to ensure companies follow the law. If you're a
7: big enough company, if you're a Home Depot or a Meta, violating privacy can just become a cost of doing business if the penalties aren't significant enough.
9: Currently, the Privacy Commissioner does not have the power to penalize organizations found breaching privacy laws. In a statement, Home Depot says it stopped using the Meta tool once the Privacy Commissioner's office expressed concerns about it. It went on to say that it's committed to the responsible collection and use of customer data. Kyle Benning, Global News.
2: Just ahead, raising spirits on Vancouver Island.
3: This would be like a Canadian artist making their way into the Louvre or the Uffizi.
2: The B.C. distillery that's done what no other Canadian whiskey maker has done before.
1: And the deadly cost of misinformation. What lies and deception did to derail our COVID pandemic response.
11: both ways tonight at the Patello Bridge, but do keep in mind there will be northbound lane closures later on for overnight construction. The Jet Set and Go budget stretch event is on at London Drugs. Stretch your budget a little further on all things travel. shopping, store and online January 23rd to 29th. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
1: In a Canadian first, a Vancouver Island distillery has been selected to join the prestigious Scotch Malt Whiskey Society.
2: Shelter Point Distillery will become a name known around the world for its high-quality whiskey. As Paul Johnson reports, it's an honor no other Canadian distiller has ever attained.
13: So this is where the whole process starts. We bring our grain into the mash tun, soak it in
14: water. Just south of Campbell River, you'll find the Shelter Point Distillery where for several years now, they've been trying to make their mark in the world of craft whiskey. Here's how you know when you've succeeded in that scene. A beautiful location up, uh, up in Vancouver Island there. Glasgow-based John McChain is the brand ambassador for the Scottish Malt Whiskey Society. His other official title is the Keeper of the Quash. If that sounds something like the Freemasons of Scotch to you... Well, it turns out their standards are about as exacting as any secret society. We believe that we gave whiskey to the world. We have a long, long history, long heritage, and provenance uh, of whiskey. So the society's official selection of a shelter point whiskey for their roster is a seismic event. No Canadian distiller has ever done it before, and the fact that they only started here in 2011 makes it all the more
3: impressive. This would be like a Canadian artist making their way into the Louvre or the Uffizi. You just hope that the world likes it and it turned out they did. Head distiller
14: James Marinus says the victory came only after years of tinkering, growing their own barley on the property and experimenting with different methods and different types of casks. They didn't get it right away.
4: When we made our first whiskey, you know, Legally, three years in a barrel before we can sell it. We tried it. We're like, eh, we're not there yet.
14: That persistence paid off for a country that's known mostly for the class of whiskey that gets downed with Coke. Breaking out with a high-end craft whiskey is a national victory, given that many have tried and failed to impress the keeper of the quash. It's not just a drink to us. It's part of what we are. And I think that's gone on for hundreds and hundreds of
1: years. Paul Johnson, Global News. It'd be pretty cool to taste it, wouldn't it? You do have a chance because they're having a tasting and unveiling event February 1st and 2nd, I think. And they say there are a couple of tickets. You'll be able to get a bottle Mm -hmm. if you have $250 to spend. That's how much a bottle of that stuff is.
2: A couple of tickets left. One, two.
1: Yeah, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) All
2: right, Let's go. In health matters tonight, the Canadian health care system has lost an estimated $300 million and thousands of lives due to COVID misinformation.
1: That's according to a report by the Council of Canadian Academies. A panel examined the impacts of science and health misinformation during only nine months of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021. And the report suggests misinformation played a part in at least 2,800 lives lost and contributed to vaccine hesitancy for roughly 2.3 million Canadians. The council suggests there would have been around 200,000 fewer COVID cases and 13,000 fewer hospitalizations, if not for the spread of misinformation. Still ahead, the food truck serving up much more than meals.
0: A lot of people need help and a lot of people... um Need jobs, and that's what we're doing.
1: How it's a lifeline for refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine.
2: And a cosmic close call the asteroid that's skimming past Earth. Well, it's been a relatively mild winter across Canada so far, especially back east, where they're more accustomed to being pummeled by cold and snow from November to March.
1: They are making up for lost time right now, though, with a major cold blast from Ontario all the way to the Atlantic. Mike Drolet reports.
13: Montrealers have an expectation when it comes to winter. It's either cold, snowing, or a mix of the two. What they don't expect is having to wait until the end of January to see it. (laughs) And now, with 30 centimetres of fresh snow... The city is scrambling to salt and clear 10,000 kilometers of roads and sidewalks.
4: We will need more than five days to complete the
13: operation. The storm had the expected impact on air travel with many flights cancelled out of Toronto and Montreal leaving passengers temporarily stranded.
9: Our flight arrived really late last night so we actually had to run to try and catch our other flight and get them to open the door for us and we managed to get on that plane but then the plane got cancelled so it's been, uh, it's been
13: a day. Actually, it's been a winter, unlike any other in recent memory. With many ski hills in Ontario and Quebec that have relied almost solely on artificial snow, ecstatic to finally see the real stuff. In Toronto, cars were sliding all over the icy roads, which some saw, oddly enough, as a challenge.
10: Were you here for fun or...? Uh, yeah, we just want to see how it
13: was around here. And in Ottawa, where the canal has yet to freeze... Digging out didn't seem like a chore.
12: Well, I'm actually kind of happy it finally is acting like winter in Ottawa.
13: But alas, not everybody is smiling. Atlantic Canada got its fair share of snow, but with rain already falling, thoughts of skiing have been replaced with concerns about flooding. Mike Global News,
1: Toronto. Not here. Mm,
13: Not
2: here.
1: Not yet. Well, (laughs) Well, it is going to get cold, right? It is going to get cold, so we better warm folks, right?
0: And, and with it getting so cold, a lot of people have been asking me, when are we going to get snow? And there is a possibility, so I'll show you when. Uh, it's not in the short term, I'll tell you that right now. What we are going to contend with, though, is a big drop in temperature this weekend. Uh, we are going to stay near seasonal tomorrow, but it, the, cha- the real drop will occur on Sunday with 5 to 10 degrees below seasonal across the coastal regions and 10 to 20 for inland regions. Here's a glimpse at some of those numbers for you. Having a hard time clicking? Oh, no, no. How's that? We got it. Okay. So here's a quick look at uh, Kamloops, for example. So we're going to drop down to about minus 15. These are the overnight lows. So daytime highs, of course, will be warmer. By comparison to what we saw with the cold snap uh, earlier in the um, season, like right before Christmas, these temperatures are nowhere as cold. So we can drop these by another 10 degrees. And that's what it felt like when we had that last cold snap. And that will be the case right across the province. So we were able to uh, manage that Arctic blast. We can handle this one as well. Certainly, that big drop in temperature, particularly on Sunday for the Metro Vancouver region, will be substantial. Now, in the meantime, we still have some rain in the forecast as this uh, starts to shift across the region. But the plunge of cold will start on Friday, but the more significant change will happen on Sunday for many areas. So inland regions still above seasonal for one more day. Cloud and showers on the way for you. But for the South Coast, a clearing trend with highs near seasonal tomorrow. Seven degrees, as you can see. Saturday won't be bad at all at all either with highs of about six degrees but look at the massive change we're expecting by sunday warming up to only zero degrees in that sunshine and we are going to see that on monday also as i mentioned yes we have the potential for snow it's so many days away closest chance would be on tuesday we'll have more details on that in the meantime right now just enjoy the sunshine just bundle up a little bit all right tonight center windows weather windows showing you how to do it yes enjoying the sunshine but bundled up this was from over the weekend at mount crow which is in the west kootenai dan that's a stellar photo thanks for sharing
1: that is fantastic dan's a lucky man
0: all right, no thanks, doubt about Christy. it
1: and and we're lucky too apparently because an asteroid <laughs> about the size of a box truck has just zipped past Earth, making it one of the closest encounters recorded.
2: Definitely lucky. NASA mm-hmm. says the asteroid, which was only discovered this past Saturday, flew 3,600 kilometers above the southern tip of South America. That's at an altitude 10 times closer than what most communications satellites orbit. The flyby happened around 430-hour time, uh, NASA says. There is no risk that it will hit Earth.
15: Good to know.
1: that the lucky part. That's the lucky part. We are safe.
15: But isn't it disturbing that they didn't see it until just recently? It's, well, despite yeah, all the satellites little, exactly. and everything looking out for that sort of thing.
1: Yep. All but right. that they did spot it is also a good thing.
15: Yes, it is nice. And they really, spotted what would it, we do anyway? <laughs> well, at that point, not very much. Mm-mm. So, okay. Enough space talk. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks gave Andre Kuzmenko what he wanted, a new two-year contract.
6: I'm happy now. It's, uh, for me, it's a very important moment Signed to, sign to a more years contract with Canucks.
15: That man has a good head of hair, and he immediately became a goal scorer in his first NHL season, but a lot of fans thought he might have brought back a lot in a trade as well.
2: Also tonight, a local food truck serving up authentic Ukrainian food and friendship with some help from the experts.
1: It's kind of a uh, topsy-turvy world when the signing of a good young goal scorer by the Vancouver Canucks is seen as maybe a negative.
2: But such is this season.
15: Such is this season. I know, I know. I mean, you can see it from both perspectives. Being a rebuild guy, I'm more for the trade because you probably could get a lot back for him. But the Canucks have signed Andre Kuzmenko to a new two-year contract worth $5.5 million per season. Now, because he would have been an unrestricted free agent this summer, the Canucks had to decide whether to keep him or trade him. Kuzmenko is a very good player. But there are a lot of people who thought the Vancouver Canucks could get good return in a trade before the deadline, given just how easily he has adjusted the scoring in the NHL. But this signing obviously means the Canucks will have to try to trade others. Keeping Kuzmenko means a Bo Horvat trade is pretty much just a matter of time. I'm sure they would love to trade Brock Besser if they could. I mean, they just signed him last summer, which was probably a mistake. It's going to be harder to move him. He's underperforming. He makes $6.65 million a year. But re-signing Kuzmenko, I guess, should not surprise anybody because he was brought in by this management group. And he fits well with Elias Pettersson. And certainly for Kuzmenko, he's happy about the deal, not just because he gets a huge raise. He's only making 950000 this year. But he and his family love living in Vancouver.
6: Uh, I like Canucks. I like his fans, uh, City. For me and my family is all like and uh, I won't help to Vancouver Canucks is go-to playoffs and his uh, big dream to standing up, cup why not
15: less than 24 hours after winning his first game as a Vancouver Canuck head coach Rick Talkett got to see up close and personal the kind of team that got his old friend Travis Green and his predecessor Bruce Boudreau fired a team we've seen a lot of, one that allows great chances to score for the opposition. One that seems to forget basic defensive strategies. If the Canucks were a baseball team, they'd be running into each other on pop flies because nobody's calling for it.
4: Yeah, soft. It was a, you know, I hate to call your team soft, but it was soft tonight. You know, we didn't uh, didn't participate on the wall battles. We didn't get a rim out. You know, that we knew we they, you know, this is a good team. We didn't play predictable, we started regrouping, like old habits, ca- you know, old habits came, we were just talking to the coach stuff, man I wish I had about 10 practices, I really do, and uh, it shows tonight that we got a lot of work to do.
15: Oh yes you do, but it's management who actually has the most work to do to get him the players that can play his system. Okay. Uh, now that Nathan Rourke has morphed from a Lion to a Jaguar, Vernon Adams Jr. will be B.C.'s number one quarterback this season. Now, let's be honest, it's not the scenario the B.C. Lions were hoping for. They would have loved Nathan Rourke to stick around for at least another year for many reasons. One of them is it would sell tickets, but they are comfortable with a CFL veteran like Adams being their guy. Last
14: season, Vernon Adams Jr. joined the Lions midseason. Sir! as an emergency replacement for the injured Nathan Rourke. Now that Rourke's gone to the NFL, Adams is the Lions' new number one and is making sure he's
16: more than prepared for training camp, which is still over three months away. I want to get out here at least one week at a time each month this offseason, and I know Lucky will be out here. Rhymes is just, he's over the way, but he'll be over here too. Katoy, Scarphone, all those guys are here, so um, I just want to get as much chemistry as I can with those guys. How do you get
14: chemistry with the receiver when it's just you and him playing catch on a field? Well, it
16: takes some imagination. I'll ask him, hey, run this route but versus this coverage. So you have to show me how you're going to run it because not every single post route will be ran the same. I'll give him that scenario, and basically we get on the same page right then and there. So when we are in the game, we know what we did on the offseason about, you know, oh, it's cover zero. He's going to run it like this. Boom, and we get it off to him. Everything you see out here today is what you're going to see, you know, when the season comes. All that work you put in during the offseason, it always comes to fruition during the season, you know. So the more work you put in, most likely the more, you know, the more plays you're going to get in. The more, you know what I'm saying, the more you're going to be able to help your team. So it's all about the work. The Lions offense won't be quite as dynamic without Nathan Rourke, but
14: Vernon Adams Jr. still gives them a playmaker who can also run the ball as well as any quarterback in the league but he will have to elevate his game consistently to make the Lions a true championship contender.
16: Man, I know that's the pressure of the position, man. Not everybody can do it, but I love the pressure. I love it, man. And Yeah, I'm just excited, man, and I'm not worried about it. Pressure's a privilege, and I'm just ready to go out there and do my thing. Uh, It gives me confidence, you know what I'm saying? And a confident VA is a dangerous VA, I'm going to tell you that, you know what I'm saying? So um, I, I love it, man. I'm here to earn it. I'm here to learn, and I'm just here to win. Really, that's the biggest thing.
15: Quarterback Patrick Mahomes is out practicing with the Kansas City Chiefs, trying to get his sore ankle in game shape for Sunday's matchup with Cincinnati. Winner goes to the Super Bowl, and it looks like he will be able to start.
9: Yeah, I thought I had a good day yesterday. Um, Obviously, it's things you had to work through here and there, um, but overall, uh, probably better than I expected being able to go out there and, and throw the football around and get the reps in that I needed to get in. There you go. Thank you, Squire.
2: Thanks, Squire.
1: Up next, the new lunch trucks serving up food and futures for the Ukrainian refugees behind the counter. This
14: is BC with Jay Durand is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca.
2: Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan?
10: And Sophie, will have a lot more tonight on the big story of the day, the Surrey policing indecision. The Board of Trade not happy with the province for delaying things, claiming today's announcement compromises the public safety of businesses and residents. We'll also hear from the Surrey Crime Prevention Society and the concerns that volunteer organization has when it comes to its funding. Also tonight, fighting eggflation. If you're tired of shelling out more for farm fresh eggs there's a local resource you might find will come in handy and we'll tell you all about that at 11. sophie
2: we see what you did there i'm jordan. sorry
10: joan marshall gave me that she gets
1: all the credit
2: <laughs> we love the puns here
1: we certainly do they're they're not just tolerated they're encouraged Thank you, jordan <laughs> All right, a Richmond physician is making a difference outside of medicine and trying his hand at the food truck business.
2: As Jade Rand tells us, and this is BC, his truck isn't just feeding hungry customers, it's giving refugees employment and a taste of independence in their new country.
7: The crew at Cultivate Food Truck is putting together a special menu for the stop at Richmond Hospital. Oksana, Natalia and Mariana, three refugees from Ukraine, are creating taste from home for the lunch crowd. They've been in BC less than a year now and have just started their first job. They're really coming from a, a struggle. They're leaving their country, their loved ones. They're leaving a lot of violence, unfortunately, and they're coming to a place where they don't necessarily know the language. And really, they're just trying to struggle to make ends meet. Dr. Sherrod Sampath launched his nonprofit food truck to raise money for local charities while also giving some people in need a place to work. Really focused on folks from uh, the new immigrants and refugees uh, as well as people that have a challenging background.
12: Pierogies and cabbage rolls please.
7: These lineups are just the beginning.
15: That's for you guys.
7: Since it launched, Cultivate is now set to cater weddings and parties while also taking orders through Skip the Dishes.
15: Brogues and sausage please for Amelia.
7: And they're still in the early stages of expansion. We want to eventually, I hope, to get a brick and mortar space. So get a, a building where we can use as a commissary kitchen and also um, utilize and hire more people.
2: I think everything is the best
7: and tasty. So much spirit in the kitchen despite what's happening back home. Natalia's son and husband are still in Ukraine. Marianna's brother was missing for several days this week before finally reconnecting with her family.
11: She's got a brave face on right now, she's smiling over there, but I mean these girls have lost everything.
7: But there is support here,
11: Yvonne, from
7: new friends and colleagues, <laughs> and many happy customers. We're going to
8: put a dunkum in there. This is the first Ukrainian food truck I've ever seen.
7: They could very well be the best pierogies you've ever had. Look at that. A little culinary gift from the Cultivate food truck and a team of chefs that's working very hard to keep up with the orders.
15: Wow!
2: Sold out! Thank Thank you for coming! coming. (laughs) (laughs) Jay Durant, Global News. Okay, now we all want pierogies right now. race home for dinner, yeah. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that we need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc.com at globalnews.ca
1: all right christy's uh, an old
0: friend of mine
1: oh is that right oh
0: yeah she's an old friend and she has so much love to give it's so awesome to see she was the one that had the the um, mom's uh, grilled cheese food truck so she's pretty awesome oh also delicious
2: knows what
1: she's doing no no doubt about it uh so cold is much better when it's sunny right
0: Absolutely. I mean, you felt the chill in the air today, but we were actually near seasonal in terms of temperature. So enjoy that sunshine bundle up. Chance of snow Tuesday. Still so many days away, though. See, Squire is fine if it's sunny.
15: We're going to make it. Well, I can look out the window and I can get the idea that it might be warm. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good night, everyone. Good night, all.